0: Hey folks! David Shepard here, uh, MLA for Edmonton City Center, proud new Democrat, happy to welcome you to this week's edition of The Herd, the first to be live broadcast. So hello out there, everybody on Facebook, in internet land, everybody who's uh, self-isolating, uh, watching from home in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And with me today, uh, I'm not completely isolated, I have Heather Sweet, our MLA for Edmonton Manning and our Government Hi everyone. House Leader. How you doing, Heather?
1: Good, good, happy Friday. <laughs>
0: (laughs) Happy Friday. It Mm -hmm. has been quite the week, hasn't it?
1: It has definitely been quite the week. You were
0: telling me earlier, you're you're feeling a little tired today, and I think that's a well-earned weariness. You have been busy as the government leader doing a lot of negotiation this week. So can you tell us a bit about that? What's what's your job like in a time like this when everything's kind of getting turned upside down?
1: Yeah, so part of my job is uh, I'm the opposition house leader, so I negotiate with the government uh, when it comes to how things run in the legislature and, and debate. As we all know, we came back on Monday and pushed the budget through uh, overnight, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and so that was definitely unexpected. Yeah. Um, I hadn't heard from the government that that was something that they were going to be doing until just a few minutes before it happened. Okay. Um, and now this week... We um, have been negotiating all week because today we uh, actually ended up being in the house on a Friday, which yeah. is, I think, the first time since 1993 that there's ever been. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's been, it's a lot of work. And um, I mean, they're obviously extremely busy right now managing uh, the pandemic and, and having yeah. to address that. So yeah. Um, you know, it's it's just lots of phone tag and lots of different things.
0: I can imagine. I, I can tell you from the sort of the other side of the fence, of course, uh, as uh, one of the MLAs, where we are kind of waiting to hear from you. It's kind of yeah. This week was a, a lot of ups and downs, mm-hmm. a lot of anticipation, some frustration at times. Uh, for for folks that are that are watching or listening, right? Normally, we have a fairly we know ahead of time what mm-hmm. our schedule is going to be for the week. Maybe we don't know exactly what pieces of legislation we're going to debate from day to day, and that can change and be fluid. But generally, we at least have a good idea of the structure. And this week, that was just completely turned upside down. So the government uh, brought in a number of motions that sort of gave them the ability to change things pretty quickly in the House and uh, with not much notice, uh, sort of to to be able to, I guess, in their view, to be able to maneuver, uh, I guess, to respond to what they feel they need to with this situation now with the global pandemic. And one of those things the government felt was they felt it was absolutely necessary that they get their budget through as quickly as possible now we had some concerns with that what were your thoughts on that Heather
1: well I mean I think that there's some concern with that Um, and I've been very clear and I was even clear in the media yesterday that you know you can't use a pandemic to push through agenda Um, And so we've seen in other jurisdictions, other provinces, federally even, Mm -hmm. uh, governments working with the opposition to find a way to fund the the necessities, like health care and education, all those things, but ensure that the House is adjourned and so people can get back to their families and MLAs or or, um, members of parliament who have to travel, aren't traveling as much, and they're able to go back to their constituents to support their constituents. And that didn't happen here. What yeah. we saw was that the government pushed through their budget that has had some pretty serious criticism there's, there's across some big the board. Holes, yeah. yeah, well, you would know. You're the healthcare critic. <laughs> I'm did, sure you've yeah. heard lots about what's going on with the healthcare and and from the doctors. Sure. Yeah. So you know that's it was definitely different compared to the rest of the country of what happened here.
0: Indeed. I uh, was just uh, yeah. reading about Saskatchewan yesterday where they just, uh, they said we don't, we're going to defer our budget. We'll come back to it later, just pass enough spending to get us through. Yeah. But just recognizing I mean, this is incredible uncertainty everywhere. So, in a lot of other problems like we don't know what our finances are going to be. This is going to be a massive hit on the economy. And here in Alberta, of course, we have that Real, real problem because of course the uh, budget is built on a uh, oil price of about fifty eight dollars a barrel. And where are we now?
1: <laughs> yeah, we're like at twenty three. I think is last yeah, time I checked or well something. Pretty low.
0: Half of that. Yeah. So yeah, we just got a credit downgrade today. In fact, because uh, the DBRS out in Toronto basically said this is a budget built on fiction.
1: mm-hmm yeah, and I think the other concern too is that you know in every other jurisdiction healthcare wasn't being cut. And yes, we know that's that in true. this budget, yeah. um, there was money that was, it wasn't being funded equivalent to population growth. No,
0: no, we were about uh, about half a billion dollars short of the funding we needed to hit population growth and inflation.
1: Right. So, you know, that was part of, and I mean, you were you were doing amazing work this, this week about, you know, standing up and talking about that w- with the budget was that, you know, not only were we saying this is not okay, but... It was not okay because you're cutting health, and we're in a pandemic right now. Right. And every other jurisdiction where the opposition said, "Yeah, well, we'll do the work with you, and we'll, sure. and we'll try to get this done really quickly," didn't see that in their budgets. Everybody else was putting healthcare, like more yeah, money into healthcare. Absolutely. So it's definitely, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a great week for that. Indeed. My hope is is that, and I, and again, I've been clear with the government that. Um, if we are going back into the House next week, mm-hmm. that it better be debating legislation that has to do with a pandemic.
0: Indeed, because yeah, most yeah. legislatures are choosing at this point to no longer sit.
1: That's right.
0: Yeah, so yeah. they're actually shutting down the legislature. It's like the recommendations we've had from the chief medical officer, mm-hmm. are of course, is that we sit two meters apart, and I believe we've achieved that here. We have. Uh, but yeah, in the legislature, that's very difficult, too. We had to make special accommodation for the emergency session today to allow that to happen. So yeah, I agree. If we are going back... It should only be in the case of an emergency.
1: Yeah, no, and it should be, and I think, I mean, that's we see that in question period where um, you know we're we're all right side by side by side, and so definitely yeah. uh, we need to. You know, there's there's concerns with that. There's there's 24 of us on our side and 60 yeah. something of them. Indeed. Um, and even you know. In fairness, like even looking at the government side, you've got a premier and you've got a finance minister and you have their house leader all sitting side by side. Yeah. Problematic. And it is a problem. Like just from, a you know.
0: And just poor leadership. I mean, if anything, we should be setting the example, Mm -hmm. I think, for the people of Alberta that we respect the authority of the chief medical officer. And frankly, she should be the authority here. Um, I'm I'm concerned if we're going to start playing politics with, you know, which rules we're going to follow in the middle of a pandemic.
1: Oh, for sure. Well, and I mean, you saw today, we we all separated, so we had a seat between yes. each each of us yeah. and then you look across the way at the government yeah, side and they don't the have that yeah. no and i was like
2: "Oh, well, yeah
0: think- we should be taking this seriously yeah for sure. indeed so yeah so with that budget of course there, there was a concern in that what normally would have been about 30 hours of uh, debate uh, got crammed down to three mm-hmm. so we had a bit of tension i i took some time in there to talk about health uh, the premier was not a big fan of my tone uh, so we had a few words on that but anyways the budget did go through and so, since then, uh, the the government has taken a few concrete steps to address the COVID nineteen pandemic. A lot of jurisdictions are moving forward with a lot of important pieces. Uh, so, just recognizing people need to be able to pay. For their rent. They need to be able to pay their cost of living. A lot of people are unable to work. They have to self-isolate, can't necessarily work from home. So what do we see from the government in terms of support for for people economically?
1: So I think what we've seen so far, um, ha- they have been making some conversations around, uh, help around uh, mortgage announcements and how encouraging people to contact their banks to look at whether yes. or not they're going to be able to pay for their mortgages. But um, well, I know one of the biggest concerns that we keep talking about is the fact that they haven't done anything to address rent. Mm, so Rachel, yes. this morning, uh, while we were in question period, actually asked whether or not that would be something that, if we came back to the legislature next week, whether or not um, we would be looking at legislation to help protect people from being evicted Absolutely. over the next. You know. And we've
0: seen that uh, uh, President Trump in the U.S. Uh, declared that they would block all evictions. Uh, He's not known for being the most progressive or forward-thinking, but he did get that done. Uh, Ontario has, and I think some other jurisdictions in Canada. And yeah, it does seem strange to me that we are dragging our feet on putting this in place in Alberta. Uh, now, the premier, of course, was talking today and sort of saying, well, he really appreciates landlords that stepped up. Maybe he really preferred to see landlords provide that protection. But I can tell you, I've already gotten emails from people at my office who are potentially facing eviction. So I, I don't think this is something we can just leave it up to the goodness of people's hearts. Uh, we don't want to be making people homeless in the middle of a pandemic. right
1: yeah right and and I mean and that actually even goes to the the questions that we've been asking around how do we support um, our people like that are homeless and are most vulnerable because you know they also don't have anywhere to go and we're hearing stories now of people um, in other provinces where they've been told that they need to be you know isolating as much and so there's now more of a police presence um, encouraging people to stay home Indeed. and people who are homeless that are you know staying at the mall to stay warm during the day are being told right. they have to leave but yeah. they have nowhere to go so of course that was asked again today by uh, by uh, one of our colleagues yeah. I believe Marie Renault may have asked yeah, it uh,
0: supports for Edmonton and Calgary and some of the other jurisdictions too they can support the homeless population yeah. so of course they need space to self isolate if they need it so there's a number of pieces that are that are going on. There's the stuff around actual income support. So we saw the Alberta government sort of wait for the federal announcement, and so now we're going to have expanded EI benefits, and the Alberta government is going to kick in some uh, money in the interim period. But as you said, one of the biggest areas has been in healthcare, and so we recognize that you know they put in an additional 500 million, which again, as we discussed kind of covers what should have been there to begin with. So really, to some extent, we don't have any extra money.
1: No, and it's still 500 million short. Absolutely. It should have been a billion, right? So
0: so there's still a lot of work to do. And certainly I've been talking with a lot of doctors, a lot of nurses, a lot of other folks who have had some real concerns. So we've got another guest today that we're going to bring in here right away, uh, Dr. Darren Markland, uh, who stood with me last week uh, to sort of talk about some of his concerns as the Alberta government was continuing its fight, really, with families family doctors and sort of looking at uh, the effects that could have if we don't have strong family doctors, that's going to drive more people into the emergency rooms. And of course, that's a place we don't have a ton of extra capacity right now. So, Darren, are you with us?
3: I am, David. I am.
0: Hey. Thanks for joining us, Darren. Always a pleasure. Excellent. How have things been, uh, Darren? So uh, Dr. Darren Markland is a critical care doctor at the Royal Alexander Hospital as well as a nephrologist working with people with kidney issues. So Darren, uh, how's the experience so far at the Royal Alex uh, in the midst of the COVID pandemic? Uh,
3: Well, as you know, um, we haven't hit the onslaught of patients who require ICU care yet. We know it's coming. Uh, Albers has its first death. But right now, we're in the testing phase. And we're doing pretty good. Excellent. That's good to hear. So you and your colleagues, uh, I, I know, have
0: been working very hard. I've been talking with a lot of doctors, a lot of nurses. And I know uh, you, guys are, you guys are committed. And you're, you're showing up. You're getting ready. there on the front lines. And it sounds like uh, AHS has been doing some, some good work to make sure you've got the supplies, everything you need for that.
3: They've been they've been fantastic. It's an example of how a coordinated response to a national emergency can really bring resources online and get people focused about what's coming ahead.
0: Indeed. So what are the next steps going to be? What do you think the next couple of weeks are going to look like for you and other folks that are working on the front line?
3: Do you mean with respect to this virus that's coming? Yeah, indeed. As, as,
0: as we sort of progress from what we've learned from other jurisdictions, what do you think we can expect?
3: It all really depends on how well people are isolating. Um, there's a very good article about the difference between um, mitigating the effects of this virus and actually um, isolating, quarantining and stamping it down. And I think uh, the quote was hammer time. If we're truly hammering down on this virus, we can reduce its spread dramatically. And we'll see that. Um The Minister of Health has just announced, 40, I think, 43 more cases, which still puts us on the steep end of the curve right now. So we're not seeing the effects of isolation yet, but we're hoping that we'll start to see cases plateau if people are really doing their part in isolating. If not, we're going to start to see sick people show up in the emergency departments, and we will start to see them show up on oxygen or maybe even in the intensive care unit.
0: And Heather, what are, you, what are you hearing from folks in your constituency? Uh, are you hearing concerns about the uh, self-isolation or how are people responding?
1: So I think, I mean, this is one of the, um, the great things I think about, from Al- about Albertans, to be honest. Like I'm in the northeast of Edmonton and, and we kind of have our own little community up there. Um, and, you know, everybody's pulling together. Uh, lots of, you know, conversations on social media and like Twitter and just people engaging that way. I'm still, uh, you know, you see the person walking their dog by themselves, but like keeping distance from the, the other person walking their dog on the other side. Uh, so, I mean people have been doing quite well. I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, keeping the kids entertained and like keeping, you know, their energy levels down. Um, because when they go to school and have recess, uh, obviously they're able to, to get, you know, some of that energy out. But, um, I think so far from the constituents that I've been able to talk to is people get it. Like people really understand that this is, this is very important that we need to be, um, you know, socialize, like keeping social distancing and isolating ourselves and, and trying not to be, um, out and about as much as we used to.
0: Although it is okay to be outside. Yep. And, uh, Darren, of course you yourself, you're known as a, as a man about town on your bike out there in the river Valley. So yeah, you're, you're a testimony that it's, it's okay for people to get outside while uh, self-isolating. Is that correct?
3: i I think uh, the best quote I've heard is um, we need to be physically distant but socially cohesive, and uh, mental health is a big part of that, and so is physicality. And from a medical point of view, yeah, being outside as long as you're not in groups, maintaining separation, those are all, I think, very important things. And as the weather warms up, it's going to be what keeps us you know, robust enough to keep up the quarantine absolutely, so th-
0: that's one of the big parts I guess that all of us out here in the public can do to support you and your colleagues who are on the front lines in the hospital, as he said, to help uh, flatten that flatten that uh, that curve is you know make sure that we are self isolating that we're reducing that we're wa- reducing contact, washing our hands, sanitizing, taking all those steps to help lower that impact. but one of the other important parts with that uh, you you came down, you stood with me earlier this week to talk about some of the concerns that are being Raised by family doctors. Uh, Why is it so important that we support family doctors to support the work that you're doing, Darren?
3: Well, family doctors have, first of all, credibility because they have continuity with their patients. People trust them. They're pillars of information, and a lot of people look to them in times of crisis for stability. To have them as as go-to people in rural and smaller communities is absolutely crucial, and I think we really have to support them. Um, There's been a lot of done with the current situation to undermine the stability of family practice, be it, you know, financially or physically or reducing hours or reneging on contracts. And I think right now what we need is to, you know, strengthen the foundations of our local communities by supporting some of their most um, diligent leaders
0: yeah, no, you're, you're very right. Family doctors in rural areas are especially, but even in, here in the city, they are leaders in our community. And if this is a time when we need to have people, uh, I guess, really be following protocols, we need to have our family doctors are a valuable partner in encouraging people to do that. And as you said, there's been some real difficulties now. Uh, family doctors wanting to move to more virtual care phone email uh, to support their patients so they don't have to physically come into the office, help keep that distance, but are only being paid $20 a visit, which makes it very difficult for them to actually keep their doors open.
3: Well, I think one of the things that's been quite remarkable about this is that this is an opportunity to streamline an already very functional system. And telehealth has always been a great way of doing that for certain in select cases. And, you know, the modification of a simple billing uh, code could actually open up virtual care for every Albertan, Uh, not just from a family practice perspective, but I'm also a nephrologist and as a a specialist in nephrology, I have many people in northern communities who have to travel, especially during winter, hundreds of kilometers to see me. And, you know, that could really be improved by a virtual health visit, but it has to be done in conjunction with a physical meeting and a way of training these people to do it properly. You just can't outsource this kind of stuff, you know indiscriminately to people who have no continuity of care.
0: Right and you you say outsource like Heather have you been uh, seeing the conversation on Twitter a lot of doctors are a bit up in arms? Well, the, 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 the telehealth
1: <laughs> or the TELUS health, I think, is, yeah. is something that maybe what you're, you're referring yeah. to. And I mean, I just saw that pop up yesterday and I was like, what is this? So, like, I yeah. don't understand. The,
0: the government of Alberta just launched an app yesterday that pays doctors, apparently about 30 doctors on an app through TELUS, about $38 per visit. When actual family doctors in Alberta who know their patients and have their history get $20. So, yeah, as you were saying, Darren, yeah, for yourself as a nephrologist, for those who don't know, that's uh, kidney care. So folks that are in dialysis. That sort of thing, uh, or or a lot of other things, it's far better for them to talk to the people that know them and know their history and can provide that support and that trusted support, as opposed to sort of an AI interface and then maybe a doctor who's just going to tell them to go to the emergency room anyway. So, like
3: I say, I think it's an excellent resource, but it has to be used in adjunctive. If it's not, it actually increases costs, and studies have shown that. You know, a quick. Uh, Band-Aid solution with follow up to a GP is just double billing.
0: Indeed. So, Darren, is there anything else you you just want to let folks know as I guess as we face what, as you say, still may be the crest of this wave?
3: I think if Albertans follow our minister of uh, our, our our ministry of health, um, yeah, the chief medical uh, and officer, our chief, Dr. and our chief medical officer. Her advice has been bang on. There's strong leadership. Um, and I think if we work together right now, we're going to make this a lot better than, you know, the fear mongering out there suggests. Uh, I'm quite impressed with the leadership through HS. And I think we got everybody covered.
0: Indeed.
1: Well, thank you for everything that you've been doing. I know I'm Impressed every day when I'm hearing the stories of people and, and, uh, you know, how we, how the medical, uh, profession has responded to this pandemic. It's been, I mean, I'm d- impressed with Dr. Hinshaw every day. She stands up. I'm like, she just does such a great job. And, um, thank you for doing what you're doing on the front lines.
3: Ah, it's the least we can do, quite honestly. Absolutely. And we really appreciate to- all the support.
0: And give our best to all the folks you work with. I know you, you tell me all the time about the incredible nurses and other support staff that make your work possible and are out there and part of this too. So please tell them thank you for us.
3: I will. I absolutely will. Thank you so much.
0: All right. That was Dr. Darren Markland, uh, in, in, in critical care doctor at the Royal Alexander Hospital. You can find him on Twitter at, at Dr. Dagley, D-A-G-L-Y, D-R-D-A-G-L-Y. Uh, he's an entertaining guy to follow. I recommend it. So we've been hearing a lot, I think, about these frontline healthcare workers. Uh, have you been hearing from hearing from some of the nurses, some of the folks in your constituency office, Heather?
1: So I, I mean, I, I hear from them, and and I'm I'm hearing, you know, their their concerns around what's been happening historically. But to be honest, in the last ten days, I would say that if I'm hearing anything from the nurses and the doctors, it's just a matter of like asking people to take care of themselves. Um, they're really focusing right now on Albertans and really making sure that the care that they're receiving, like that they're available to do that. I've heard stories of nurses that have been doing like 16, 18 hour shifts and doctors that have been doing like 36 hour shifts, um, just trying to you know, meet the needs of what is happening. Mm-hmm. So it's been pretty, it's been pretty amazing to, you know, it's one of, I think healthcare is one of those things where we all talk about it and we all appreciate it and we all like our doctors, but we don't actually really understand how important it is to us as a society. And like, like it's just kind of one of our forgotten privileges that we, that we have, right? That's
0: a good way to put it. It's something I think we can kind of forget about when things are going well. And then it's sort of when something like this comes up, all of a sudden we realize, I guess, how big and how complex a system this really is but how important it is for each of us as well. And certainly, you know, I've been hearing from a lot of frontline healthcare workers who've been concerned because frankly, this government uh, intends to make a wholesale transformation of our healthcare system in the province of Alberta. And And they haven't been shy about that. That's not a partisan statement. I think they would admit that themselves. Now, how you feel we're going to that Process is going to end up, and the quality of the system by the time they're done with it. Well, then maybe that's where we differ. But I think it's been an interesting thing to watch as they had had a lot of things in play. So they had been looking at the at looking at you know laying off about up to 750 nurses across the province, uh, around on, coming up around 5,000 other uh, health and support frontline workers in different aspects of the healthcare system. Uh, they had just torn up the contract with doctors, so there was quite a bit of uncertainty already in the air, and then all of a sudden we have the pressure of this pandemic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and even with the pandemic, though, we've seen what just happened with the radiologists this week. Like, of course, yeah. They, they haven't really... Like,
0: <sighs> they aren't slowing down. They're not
1: slowing down. Um, I so mean, to be
0: clear for folks, radiologists, so last Friday, so a week ago, uh, we found out that they were tearing up a contract that they signed with radiologists last November. So five months ago, radiologists took a 17% cut in their pay to try to help balance things out in the healthcare system. And then a week ago, the healthcare minister says, ah, yeah, we're gonna tear up that contract. And in a year, we're gonna sell that off to the highest bidder.
1: Yeah. Like, what a time to do it, right? Like, it's just, it just doesn't make any sense where in one on one side you know you hear the minister of health standing up saying oh thank you and the premier mm-hmm. saying thank you to all of our frontline workers and our and our nurses and our doctors and and our you know lab techs and all these people that are working uh, around the clock right now and then on the other hand you see them creating policies that undermines that work and doing it now like it's just it's just one of those things where it's like you know hold put the brakes on let's just like focus on the system and like what these frontline workers need to not only keep themselves safe but to make sure Albertans are safe and like stop with the ideological policies which is what it is. Um, and like, let's just focus on what needs, what matters right now, which is this pandemic and making, you know, helping out our front line.
0: And I can tell you as, as the healthcare critic, I am getting a lot of emails at my office and I've been getting them for months and getting a lot more now. And what the words that I'm hearing healthcare workers use a lot, whether it's doctors, nurses, uh, lab techs, other frontline people uh, discouraged, demoralized, you know, frustrated, uh, afraid. You know, and that is not where we want our frontline healthcare professionals to be when we are facing down something like this. Where we know, as as Darren was saying, you know, the biggest pressures are yet to come. So I'm I'm glad to see that the uh, the government did back down on a couple of their points with doctors. They're maybe starting to reconsider some of their uh, their rhetoric at this point, and that we're going to see a lot more uh, support, hopefully, being there. Certainly, I know uh, for myself, yourself, and all of us in the Alberta NDP caucus, we're definitely going to be providing that support. So one of the other the other side of this, of course, is all those folks at home who are sitting and having to self isolate. So of course it's been challenging for us this week. We've been required to be here at the legislature and that sort of thing. But there are Albertans who uh, have either felt that they may have COVID-19, or in fact some that have been tested and and found to in fact in fact, uh, be, uh, be living with, living with the virus. So we've got one of those folks on the line here today. We have Marcia Levy who lives down in Calgary and she is currently in recovery from COVID-19. Marcia, are you with us?
4: I am. Thanks nice to talk to you.
0: Hey, so thank you for joining Bye. us today. So Marcia, tell us a bit of your story. How did you find out that you had come down with COVID-19?
4: Well, I I was away on a trip, trip of a lifetime to Egypt. Oh, and uh, yeah, some of of the people on the trip were not feeling so well, you know, drippy nose and cough and headache. And toward the end of the trip, which was early March, um, I started feeling not so well myself, but not sick enough to stop. So we all kept on the trip and kept going. And some people went home, Um, myself and some other people went to Jordan and other people went to Northern Egypt. And by about March the 3rd, I was really not feeling so well. And I think I had a fever, although I didn't have a thermometer with me Um, and other people were coughing and it just carried on for a few days. And, and the day before I came home, I talked with my son here in Calgary. And he, and he said, you know, things are not looking so good. And when you get home, you better call HealthLink and see what they have to say. So that's that's kind of the way it unfolded. I, I came back to Calgary on March 9th. And I was not feeling well at all. I was very tired. I did have a fever, a little bit of a cough. And on the tenth, I managed to get through to the HealthLink line, which took a while because, mm. of course, they were it starting. It was pretty to get busy. for of... Yeah. Pardon?
0: It was pretty busy there. Yes, indeed.
4: Very busy. Very busy. Yeah.
0: So you um, were able to get through, it, and did they send you then to get tested?
4: Yeah. They, because by that point I had had an email from the trip company Ah. saying that somebody on the trip uh, had tested positive.
0: Okay. Okay. So, so then you had that heads up. So you were able to get tested here. Your test came back and you were told indeed you have COVID-19. So I guess since you got back then on the 9th, you have been self-isolated?
4: I certainly have. Yep. Been in the house entirely.
0: So important question, Marsha, do you have enough toilet paper? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, that has not been an issue. Goodness. Excellent. Is I'm not, glad to hear that.
0: Hurting. I'm glad to hear that. What has the experience been like for you so far? How are you passing the time?
4: Well, you know, it's, it's a journey. Um, once I got through to HealthLink and got tested, I have to say, um, the support has been really great. I had a phone call every single day, asking how I was and was I getting better or getting worse. And oh, so they're uh, monitoring
0: and checking up on
4: you. I'm sorry.
0: So they're monitoring and checking up on you.
1: Yes,
4: every day. Yeah, oh, cool. for
1: sure. So. Um, th- Marcia, uh, before you went on your trip to Egypt, like was, was, uh, Corona even really on your radar at that point? Cause it's sort of, by the time it hit us and here in Alberta, like you would have just been getting back when we were starting to really talk about it. Like, was it something that you even thought was a possibility at that point? Or you just like, oh, I'm sick? Uh,
4: before I left it, No, it wasn't on the radar at all. It was, there was nothing, um, while I was on the trip, we did get some news and, you know, watch some TV, and it was starting to unfold uh, around the world. And, you know, I think we used a little more hand sanitizer and washed. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, are you still with us, Marsha? Oh, OK. Oh, I, think I think we, we, lost, I think we Marcia. lost Marcia there. We'll see if we can. See if we can get her back, but uh, but there you go, so um, it sounds like you know our system is up and running and working well, and I was really encouraged, especially to hear that uh, that they 're actually following up, so it 's not just a question of sort of they identify and then uh, they identify and then sort of tell uh, you stay home, but I mean no they 're checking in they 're following up uh, the contact tracing obviously is working. They got in touch with her and said, "Hey, you were on this trip. there was somebody who was infected and sounds like they're following up well.
1: Yeah, it's just one of those things where you think about, though, like, I think about where we're at today and where we were even 10 days ago, 12 days ago, and, like, we were watching it happening in, you know, uh, China and, and Italy and and just kind of those things where it was like, oh, yeah, okay, so this this virus is, is happening, but it wasn't something that I think, and that was why I asked Marsha, like, when you were traveling, did you even think that that was a possibility? Because, like... I think to many Albertans. I mean, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself. But even you know, two and a half weeks ago, I would have been, you know, I was watching it, but it yeah. wasn't really a reality no, to no. me, right? It, like it's it was developed just,
0: very quickly yeah. instead of landing on our doorstep. So people have had to adjust pretty quickly. I think we have Marsha back with us. Are you there, Marsha?
4: I am bad. Hey, oh, fantastic! Sorry, we
0: lost you there. So yeah, that's, so that's excellent. So they're checking in on you. They're making sure you're okay. And how are how are you handling things? Like what uh, what advice do you have for people who are maybe now just having to start self isolating? How are you keeping in touch with friends, families? How are you sort of keeping yourself sane?
4: Well, y- y- you know, I, because I wasn't feeling well, being in the house was really not a not a problem. But as I started. Feeling better. Um, I've had amazing support from my family and my friends and lots of yummy food dropped off on the doorstep. You know, reading, watching a little TV and you know what, just being happy every day that I feel better.
0: Ah, oh, that's wonderful. And indeed, you know, I think it's it, this is one of those moments where we have a real opportunity, I think, as uh, as Albertans and in our communities to, well, really, frankly, build community. This is a chance for us to really do a lot of things for each other, uh, so whether it's supporting local businesses or, yes, to helping out people who may be stuck at home and not able to go out and, and look after things for themselves.
1: Marsha, what would you say to... Uh Albertans that are currently going through what you went through, like calling eight one one and then maybe having to be tested, Um, what what are some things that maybe you feel would be helpful for people to to know to kind of get through this?
4: Well, you know, it it can be frustrating when you're trying to get through to a phone number and looking for some help, but I would say, you know, you will get through. Persevere. I think being compliant and listening to the messages of what we're being asked to do is really the most important because that's the only way we're going to help ourselves and help each other. So, you know, it's not fun. It's not what we want to do. We want to be out having our regular lives, but this is a, a, a new reality. And I think if we all can contribute positively, that's what's going to make a big difference.
0: Absolutely, I think that's a great perspective to have. Uh, are, are you are you at home alone, Marsha, Or do you have anyone else that's there with you? You have any pets keeping you company?
4: <laughs> no, I'm home alone. But you know, with technology and telephones, you're never really alone.
0: That, that's very true. That's very true. And, and, and uh, yeah, I've been trying to make good use of that. i uh, just been checking in with my mom, some of my family the other day. I've really appreciated the, uh, the daily updates from Dr. Hinshaw, the uh, chief medical officer. Have you had a chance to tune into any of those?
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the TV's on most of the time. You know, it gets to be a bit much after a little while, but <laughs> the updates have been great. Uh, really important to hear what's going on around the province and, uh, and around the country and the world. So, yeah, I've appreciated the updates.
1: So, Marsha, how is your recovery going? Like, are you have they given you any indication, uh, if you're allowed to, when you're allowed to go out and it's kind of return to somewhat of a normal routine or, or do you have to still wait for a bit?
4: Well, well, I have to say I've had a bit of a, a mixed message. Um, I did get a phone call on Wednesday from Alberta health saying, since I didn't really have any symptoms and, and it had been more than 10 days that I was released and that I I could go out if I wanted to but I've got a medical person in my family who's uh counseling me to wait a little while and stay in and not rush things.
1: Yeah, just be a little cautious. That's that's fair.
0: Yeah, better yeah. safe than sorry. I I imagine.
4: Yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't want to spread anything to anyone.
0: Of course. Yeah, no. And and I, I appreciate that, uh, Marsha, that you've uh, you've been proactive in sort of uh, addressing that. I'm really glad to hear that you are feeling better. And no, uh, certainly thank you for taking the time to talk to us today and I uh, wish you all the best.
4: You're very welcome.
0: Oh, there we go. Well, it's that's encouraging to hear. You know, I think that uh, that the treatment is there, the support is there, that people can quite, I think, quite safely recover. And indeed, we know from uh, globally that the the majority of cases, uh, most people are going to recover, but it's just those those folks that are in that more vulnerable population that we're sort of all making this sacrifice for, to make sure that we're not spreading it out further to them. Now, I, I know you've got some pets at home to keep in company. Hey, Heather, what have you got? going?
1: I do. I've got my two Siberian Huskies, and of course, my husband's there, so... Um, if I was to uh, self-isolate, uh, we would there would be <laughs> entertainment for me. Um, but actually, I was talking to uh, one of our, our colleagues actually about right. how we should try to come up with a games night on Facebook Live somehow. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure. Like I watched these really great videos lately on Twitter where people are trying to show people how to stay more positive and yeah. When, yeah. right. And so there was uh, two of them that I saw from the same complex in I think it was Sweden. No, not Sweden. Uh, Spain. Sorry, right. where a fitness instructor instructor went on the right. top of a roof yeah. and everybody was doing exercises on the yeah. balconies. There yeah. was
0: a great Italian video where, like, there was a bunch of people out in their balconies yeah. with tambourines and accordions and sort of belting out some some great Italian uh, folk music.
1: Yeah, they were doing that. And then there was another one where there was everybody had a bingo card and okay. somebody was yelling the bingo numbers out his patio window <laughs> to all the other people. And I mean, that's, that's kind of the neat thing about, uh, watching, you know, other countries that, cause we're so spread out in Edmonton, like our urban mm, sprawl yes. is definitely here, but to see these really tight complexes where mm. everybody can just kind of hang out on the balcony and like talk to each other. Right. Um, so I was like, well, you know, because we're, we're a little bit more spread out in Edmonton, maybe we could figure out how to do a Facebook live games night and just yeah. like get people to, maybe we have to make a bingo card and you print it off or something. Yeah, I don't know. We, we figure it no, out. No, I've, I've seen that and that's
0: one of the great things that I have seen in the midst of this. It's it's a difficult time. Uh, it's a frightening time. And certainly there's going to be some real impacts we're going to have to deal with. But I have seen incredible creativity coming out in people in uh, how they connect with others. It's, you know, the arts community, which is getting hit very hard by this right now, of course, because arts, man, most of your money you make these days is from performance. And, of course you can't do it. You're not supposed to have big crowds of people in a place you can't, so they're hurting. But, you know, I saw today the Citadel Theater is setting up a series of streaming performances that they're going to be broadcasting. Uh, the Starlight Room here in downtown Edmonton, you know, they can't put on concerts, but instead they're bringing bands in and doing streaming Starlight Sessions. That's cool. So it's it's amazing to see how yeah. people are stepping up and in, in sort of helping out.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's lots of great things that we can do, and and I think part of it is, is, uh, we just need to talk to each other about the fact that we we do need that as people. Yeah. Um, I think everybody's tried to be really strong and saying like, well, no, I understand I have to isolate or keep my distance. So I will. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is, is that we, we are social creatures yeah. and we need to be social. Um, and so I'm, Always, I mean, I would love to hear from people if they put it on the Facebook page or, yeah. like, send us private messages giving us ideas of, like, things we could be doing. Absolutely. Send
0: oh. us your suggestions. Yeah, like, we've yeah. got
1: the technology. Like, let's <laughs> let's have some fun with it and see, uh, see what we can get up to. Well, you
0: know, to pivot back around to where we started, it's... <laughs> I'm finding it's a really interesting challenge in the line of work that we're in, and particularly in our work as official opposition. You know, uh, in the midst of something like this, where indeed, I think people are focused on a lot of different things, but still recognize that we've got a very particular job to do. I think as we did today in supporting the government in putting, to, putting through some emergency uh, legislation, I'm very happy to do that. We're happy to work to, you know, if we need legislation to protect folks from eviction or anything like that, we're happy to do that. But we still have to find a way, you know, know, to hold government to account and, you know, and to be able to raise concerns, you know, be able to stand up for doctors or other people, you know, in the midst of this. And so I find for myself that can be kind of a tough tension sometimes to figure out what, how to fall on that.
1: Well, and I, it is tough. And I think part of it is, is that there's been lots of messaging put out by the government to say that we are trying to make this partisan and we're trying to turn it into a partisan thing because they don't want to be held responsible for any decisions that they're making. The reality is, is that just because we're asking questions doesn't mean it's partisanship. It is like, we have a responsibility. I mean, you know, I know, our, our colleagues and all the staff know, like we're getting inundated by Albertans with questions about what to do or how they're going to pay their bills or you know, different things. And our job is to ask those questions for them. And so it's not about fighting and it's not about being partisan or any of that. It's about doing our job as the opposition and making sure that Albertans get the answers that they need because these guys aren't calling them back. So yeah. it's our job.
0: Absolutely. And uh, you know, as a student of communications and having worked in that field, that's one of the things I definitely learned. The worst thing you can do for people is leave them with silence. People need to know what's happening. And even if it's an occasional update to say, you know what, we don't quite know yet, but we're working on it. That makes a huge difference. So certainly the daily briefings with uh, Dr. Hinshaw is helpful. And as we're starting to see some more specific movement from the government, the, the, the bits they've put in now to provide uh, financial support for for Albertans, that's, that's good to see. Their announcement today, that they're going to be opening some childcare spaces for uh, prioritized for healthcare workers and other essential workers first. Those are positive things. And yeah, I guess we just keep pushing to see more of those announcements to cover more of the concerns sure. that people have.
1: We'll keep asking.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Well, thank you so much for
0: coming in today, Heather. I know you're probably going to be busy over the next couple of weeks. You're going to be sort of our front person talking with the government as to sort of what our next steps are. Any other pieces that are coming up?
1: Well, I'll be here again tomorrow talking to the government to figure out what our next week's going to look like. So right. uh, I'll just keep at her.
0: Uh, we'll all be uh, we'll all be waiting to hear from you, I guess. So uh, so thanks again for coming in. I really appreciate it. All right. So, Heather, if folks want to uh, keep track, I guess, of what's happening in your neck of the woods and maybe what's uh, going on in your negotiations with government, where can they find you?
1: Uh, well, they can find me on Facebook and Twitter if they just search Heather Sweet. Okay. Um, and then Instagram, I'm the Sweet MLA.
0: Yeah, you are indeed. <laughs> So uh, we're going to go out with a bit of music today, as we always do. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to another great edition of The Herd, our first live broadcast. So that was a lot of fun. If you want to check out the video, uh, for those that are just listening, you can. Uh, if you go to uh, our Facebook page, uh, The Herd Pod, you can uh, see that live video there. Uh, we're going to be going out today with a uh, with a great artist, uh, a artist named Paul Woida. Uh, he's a well-known, much-loved Canadian singer, songwriter, and master looper, currently based here in edmonton Uh, what's a loop you might ask well what it is is its is it's something that musicians do a lot now where they have a a pedal basically that records loops so they can uh, they can beatbox a rhythm they can play a little bass line they can play a guitar lick on top of that loops it all together they create their own backing band so paul sort of perfected the art of looping and he uses that in a lot of his live performances so here's paul woida with his song all the lights thanks for tuning in we'll see you next week
2: May the silence and the clouds fade away. You illuminate the silver lining in me. You flip this way. i of stain glass. You shine through them, you shine past my mistakes with your grace. A living color. Never been the same. You chased the shadows away. You said my fear has no pace It was your love. You turned on all the lights, all the lights, all the lights. You turned on all the lights, all the lights.